welcome to Heinous as Fuck. I'm V. I'm Talia. And we're going to be discussing and, I guess, criticising, starting from the season 13, episode 1 of Law & Order SVU. We've previously <laughs> recorded a, you know, what happened in seasons 1 to 12, but the recording was awful, so this is where you're starting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess I'll do a quick rundown of the episode, and then we can discuss it. Uh, interject. Yeah interject whenever if you want to say something specifically that you don't have in your notes. So there's an older man putting on his tie, walking out of a hotel room. A hotel maid catches another hotel maid staggering from the hotel room. They cut back to the old guy. He's doing some misogynistic toast to his, I guess, son with his new wife. It was um, some kind of, like, if I remember correctly, it was something like, something in Italian. So it sets the scene of him being, you know, uh, not not from around New York. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Where he's like, may may my child be a boy or something. Yeah, yeah. Something, like may your something may your baby be masculine or something. Some mm. douchebaggery. So like right off the <laughs> bat, you're like, well, this guy's an asshole. <laughs> and then they cut cut back to the hotel room where the attacked maid, who we now know is called Miriam, is crying on the stairs, and the security guards tell someone else to call the police. You cut to the station and we get Captain Donald Cragen telling Tutuola and John Munch that the maid Miriam has said she was sexually assaulted and to go investigate. Cragen also tells uh, a super grumpy Olivia to go meet the victim at the hospital and advises the team to tread lightly as the old man being accused is Roberto Di Stasio. <laughs> favorite, <laughs> uh, quote, 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 unquote, favourite to be Italy's next prime minister. Mm. So presumably, I don't know if this is right, but I think this is directly after what happened at the end of season 12, which is why Olivia is so grumpy. Mm. Because they never specifically say it, but considering what happens in the rest of the episode, I'm guessing she just can't get a hold of uh, Elliot and she's, like, pissed. Mm, yeah, because we've, <clears throat> we've got a scene, it's a little after where we are in the recap, but mm. there's a scene where she, she and the others are in a bar and she's... It's never said, but, yeah. you know, she's clearly, you know, on Elliot's voicemail being like, yo, I'm so codependent on you, please, please call me back. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I'm here for you and all of this crap. And I think she even asks Finn if he's spoken to mm -hmm. him and Finn's like, nah. <laughs> like, he just doesn't give a shit. He's like, yeah, right. <laughs> um, okay, so they cut to the town car where Distasio release realises he forgot his laptop back at the hotel. They decide not to go back so he doesn't miss his flight, but they call the hotel anyway at the exact moment that Finn and Munch are at the hotel <laughs> where they're told mm. that Distasio is about to catch his flight. Back to Cragen at the station, who tells everyone to stall so they can arrest Distasio before he leaves the country. As he's getting into the elevator, Cragen, he bumps into mm. the <laughs> into the Georgia peach herself, Amanda <laughs> Rollins, with a thicker <laughs> southern accent than what she ends up with later on in the series, proclaiming that she is I ready to work. not pick up on that. Oh, she's got the thickest. <laughs> She's got the thickest Georgian accent. Uh, like, mine's really bad, but, like, she's got... Because like, I think she does have a bit of an accent, but she notches it up to, like, 100 in this first thing. I don't know if she was planning to have the accent the whole way through. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's pretty funny hearing her talk, especially because I've, like, been bouncing around through seasons and I just watched her last episode and she doesn't have the accent at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. so and does like, she... Because um, this is something that's been interesting coming from a... So, 
So for those who don't know, my my background with SVU is essentially like, you know, having it on in the background, but it, it's never in chronological order. It's always been just random yeah. here and there. So it was only recently that I came across, because this is Roland's, like the character Roland's first episode. But it is, yes. She's been in SVU before as a victim. Yes. Yes, she is. As like a, a hoity-toity woman that gets raped, I think. Mm, sounds a bit, yeah. sounds on par for what we would expect from SVU, yeah. Anyway, well, sorry, sorry to derail. No, no, that's, no, that's, that's fine. Also, cause it's, it's funny because uh, another character that's, that comes up a bit later in like season 16, his name is Dominic Carisi and he is a victim in, I think this season. <laughs> oh, interesting. And then uh, he gets introduced as a different character and he becomes a main character of the show as well so yeah there is so much recycling of people and sometimes they do not give them enough time to breathe for you to be like wait a second (laughs) (laughs) there's a an ada from the past seasons her name was uh novak can't remember her first name but she was a rapist (laughs) in one of the in like season two or something and then in like season equal opportunity there yeah, and then season four and five, she's introduced as a different character, and I and I remember watching that and being like, "Wait, <laughs> something funk is going on here." Okay, at the hospital, Miriam tells her story to Olivia, where Dastasio restrains her. She gets away. He catches up with her. She scratches him, but he pushes her down and brutally orally rapes her. She spits her. She spits his sponge out. I don't think sponge is a word, but it is now. And he. <laughs> And he laughed and said, this is the difference between like and love. Olivia asked Miriam where she spit it out, and we cut to the hotel room where the crime scene unit, or CSU, are combing through for evidence. This scene in particular is very indicative of SVU, because Rollins finds the blood in plain sight where Mm. the entire CSU team didn't see it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like this smudge in the middle of the walkway. And the funniest, the, like, the thing that I found even funnier was that she puts down a coin to show scale, like, you know, showing that she's proactive and shit. But, mm. like, they've got their own rulers. They've got the little yeah. L rulers that they use for scale. <laughs> so I'm just like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they're just yeah, trying I, really I hard. The same, I had exactly the same thought. Um, I mean, like, if, if it's her first half, of course they're going to have a whole bunch of, you know, here's what she's like as a character. Here's, yeah. here's how we show what she, like, you know, what she's like and how great she is. But, you know, it does yeah. seem <laughs> a bit fucking stupid in the face of, you know, yeah. It's it's pretty funny. I've it, And it's very SVU. In previous seasons, there's whole teams looking in the park and then Olivia's there five seconds. She's like, oh, I found this tiny ring in a bush. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like hooray for Olivia this is, pretty <laughs> much, this is pretty much the same thing of hey look at this smudge that nobody saw in the middle of the walkway Olivia calls the CSU to look for the scunge <laughs> and we mm-hmm. see Dastasio giving the wonky old man rape eye to a young stewardess Munch and Finn are rocketing towards the airport. Medical examiner Melinda Warner tells Cragen, get ready to get happy, which was a very strange line, as she UV lights the sconge they found where Miriam had said it was. Oh, uh, okay, because I, I could not remember what the context of that line was at all. And it was, I could not remember that. <laughs> it was just a very, like, just before 
I think Miriam said that she spat it out into the drain. And so they like mm. pulled out whatever was in the drain. And then Warner goes, get ready to get happy. And I'm like, what <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? You, got a, um, you have a different idea of a good time. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, they're all pretty twisted, but it was just a weird phrase to say at that exact mm. moment. Finn and Munch board the plane and arrest Distasio. Cue credits. Back at the station, they have Distasio in one of their nicer little aquarium interrogation rooms, not like the scary cold concrete ones that they have. Mm. So they're like already treating him a bit better than they normally would. Distasio is claiming diplomatic immunity as the head of a global economic trust and is represented by Marvin Exley, a recurring high-priced douchebag lawyer for the rich and powerful. Exley mm. will appear again and again in the next like two seasons. I don't I think this might be his first episode as well. Mm. Distasio they, thinks- they did mention him as if we were supposed to have known him, so I don't know if he's shown up before or not. Um, I don't think he had. Like, there's quite a few that are recurring and have been recurring for, like, since season one. But I think, mm-hmm. actually, this is his first episode, but he does, he keeps coming back over the next few seasons. Distasio thinks his Italian political opponent is behind everything because he doesn't think he did anything wrong. Mm. Assistant District Attorney Alexandra Cabot walks in just in time to see Exley close the Venetian blinds John Lovett style <laughs> in The Wedding Singer. Um, <laughs> she walks in, Exley's right up next to the window like, closing the blinds. It's like, what mm-hmm. the fuck? <laughs> Cabot, oh yeah, this is the whole, like, somebody asks Cabot about how it went in the Congo in the last episode oh, yeah. she was in and she just says pray for them and that's like the end of that story um, um, when, when she walks in i can't remember who it is that says this it's something along the lines of welcome back to the concrete jungle oh, okay yeah. <laughs> because she wasn't an actual jungle apparently yeah they never speak of it again <laughs> so both olivia and cabot say that uh, Miriam's story has been consistent. Mm -hmm. Miriam tells Olivia about her kids and then reveals more of her tragic story while asking if Distasio is rich and important. The Italian council general is also a douchebag and he keeps Mm -hmm. saying about how Distasio is charming and he's a magnet to women and that and he manages to like name drop the president that he was playing golf with the with the president mm-hmm. and Craigan's pretty funny he's he's very sassy here because he's usually bend overy <laughs> with mm-hmm. higher ups but he's very oh yeah <laughs> like oh yeah well, cool. yeah, cause it's good for you mate doesn't he say something like yeah how do you do in the golf yeah. game that he played with <laughs> yeah because <laughs> oh, he doesn't name drop the president he just says with your president, the president. yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah but Craigan's like yeah and <laughs> like all right <laughs> So the ADA comes in Cutter. I think we only get him a couple of times because he's pretty boring. But he's Alexandra Cabot's boss, trying to calm the general down, but the general seems to want to sweep everything under the rug. That's the impression that he gives. Olivia and Miriam return to the station and everyone stares at them because Distasio is at the station. Rollins tries to ingratiate herself with Olivia, but Olivia doesn't want anything to do with her (laughs) at all. She's Mm. just like, okay, thanks, little girl. (laughs) Very dismissive. Olivia assures the ADAs that Miriam's story is solid backwards and forwards as she wistfully looks over at Elliot's desk. Olivia only has good stuff to say about Miriam and the ADA ADA tells her to investigate Miriam thoroughly before they continue. Cabot asks about Stabler and Cragen says that it's up to him if he wants to return. Miriam identifies Distasio in a lineup. 
Distasio is surprised he's being charged on the word of a maid. Quotes. Mm. Ice T and Olivia show Distasio off to the press despite Craigan telling them not to. Distasio is a fucking idiot who thinks because he's had a vasectomy they can't get his DNA. <laughs> <laughs> That was a really good like line in like just because you go oh my god what a, what a fucking moron what a fucking like, moron and this guy's like <laughs> the head of fucking monetary trust in in europe like what the fuck mm-hmm. rollins tries to small talk to stasio with food but all they get is misogynistic waxing po- poetic and an empty threat mm-hmm. about her job the first time mm-hmm. we see rollins using her sexuality on the job Mm. Uh, I wrote some notes about this one because I thought this was a very interesting way to play her in a first episode. Mm. I mean, you can tell she's intentionally playing this submissive because she can read that that's what he wants from women. Because I think I think he says something about you know it's it's something along the lines of men have facts, women have words, and she's yeah. like, I'd like to hear your facts. Yeah, it was it was interesting as a way to play a first time character. I thought. Yeah, you you definitely get an impression of her that no matter how submissive she plays, that it is a play, that it's not mm-hmm. like she's not naturally like that, but she knows when and how to use it, I think, because she yeah. she, she uses it a lot. Like, <laughs> we'll, we, we'll have, like, a special segment of, no, here's Rollins using her sexuality again. <laughs> Like, here we go. In previous seasons, they had used Olivia like that a little bit. With Rollins, it's like whenever she's undercover or whenever she's interacting with anyone outside the squad, out comes the tits, you know? <laughs> she's like, all right, here we go. So it's a, a very interesting, especially because they delve into her character a lot where she's a lot more than that. But I think because of where she comes from and how she grew up and stuff, she thinks that that's the only way to do stuff i guess i don't know we'll come across this season in particular is very rollins heavy so we'll mm-hmm. see a lot of crazy shit about her anything else about that scene uh not at the moment no okay Distasio pleads not guilty but is remanded to rikers miriam reveals more fucking awful history of her past and both cabot and olivia believe her i think it's also very interesting how they've got cabot just returning from the congo so she's more primed to believe stories as well Mm, actually that's a very good point um we'll talk about we as somebody who started here would not necessarily know that like you might know that if you had known that she was going into the congo but i'm glad you told me she did because (laughs) i wouldn't (laughs) yeah yeah i I only noticed that the second time that i watched this episode recently because i'm just like actually that yeah we'll, we'll talk more about that in a second olivia is wow i don't know what that word says Olivia, I think it's pissed, I think is meant to say, is pissed, and mm. she defends Elliot. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, So it's a bit where uh, Cragen tells her that, you know, it's his sixth shooting that they know of, mm. and that they're going to go through his jacket, and she gets really pissed off, and he's just like, well, they'll let him come back if he does a psyche val and anger management, and then Olivia's just like, well, he'll never agree to that, and... It, like they play it off. Oh, that's what that is. Because uh, Olivia walks into the the station and IAB is there. But it's so funny that in this world, because it's so hooray for cops, that the internal people that are keeping cops in check are the bad guys. So when they walk out of Cragen's office, she's just like super pissed, and she's like, "It was a good shooting." And he was just like, "Yeah, but he's like shot a lot of people." <laughs> Yeah, my dude, he has shot a lot of people. It's a really good point that, like, that whole exchange, like, 
you know, something like, oh, he'll have to take a psych exam. And then she says something to the effect of, well, she'll tell them, rather, he'll tell them to go to hell. It's like, well, what, if you, do you think you can't pass this psych exam? Like, is there something inherently wrong with a psych exam in this context? I mean, I'd kind of want the people shooting at people to be, you know, checked off by a psych, maybe? Yeah. And and that's the funny thing as well that it's seen like a oh you know she's a ride or ride or die for Elliot, but mm-hmm. like or everything about this exchange tells me that they think that it sh- it's okay that even though he obviously has anger issues and he just shot a sixteen year old girl, that mm. he should be getting a psyche vow and he should be going to anger management and she's just like super pissed about that. I don't mm. know. There was something unsavory about that (laughs) (laughs) Dostasio gets bail the idiot wife defends her cheating husband and makes out with him in front of the press Olivia tries to contact Elliot Dostasio is in in luxury on bail so he I think they mentioned that he is in a hotel room like a really flashy hotel room because he got bail Mm. Cabot advises the team the DNA matches to Sazio, so obviously something happened. Cutter mm. shows up with the tabloid, the ledger, telling the team Miriam was in it for the money because another maid recorded Miriam saying that she was going to make Dostasio pay. They go to Miriam and she's really angry that they question her about the tape and reveals she's hired a lawyer to sue in a civil suit. So they're like, oh shit, now there's... Now the press will just make her out to be a gold digger. Cabot mentions her story is consistent again. SVU tries to get other women to testify about Dostasio, but no one wants to talk. Rollins finds a woman who was attacked, and Olivia tells her good work. And Rollins is all, like, giddy. She's <laughs> like, uh, it's easy. Thanks, Mom. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. Exley tries to get the other woman's testimony thrown out. He also introduces new info where the Sudan has charged Miriam as a prostitute. Miriam reveals more of her story where she was raped by 12 men and then the police charged her with prostitution for breaking Sharia law. The the woman who they were going to get to testify against, Astasio, is paid off and can't be reached. Even Olivia is starting to doubt Miriam's story at this point, and Ice-T is like, dang, <laughs> like, nobody believes this woman. Like, goddamn. Cutter doesn't want to continue with, with the case. Olivia says Miriam is heartbreaking but doesn't know if it's the truth. Cabot challenges Cutter and then convinces him to continue with the case. This is the bit where seeing Cabot go so hard for pursuing this case, I think, is very much dictated by the fact that she just came from the Congo and saw like horrific things. So she's Mm. more likely to believe Miriam's story because like Miriam just so yeah we'll talk more about because the the actual case is very similar so Mm. um, we'll talk more about that when we talk about the actual case I guess. Exley is slamming the press with the fact that Miriam has lied multiple times. Miriam tells the story of the attack again in court and goes into detail about why she has a prostitution charge from the Sudan. Exley further shows the jury that Miriam is a liar because she lied on her application for a visa. Her story, even when she tells it up on the stand, is exactly the same as when she told it to Liv and Alex. Like, like word for word. Word for word and size and brushing of tears and stuff. Desazio frames the encounter as consensual and adds that afterwards Miriam asked for money and that she tried to blackmail him for 10k. Destazio's wife is in the court and you just want to punch her. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, Cabot tries to call attention to the fact that he's an ugly, crusty old dude and that no one would throw themselves at him, but he says it's because he's powerful. Obviously, mm. she doesn't call him crusty and old, <laughs> but that it's implied. <laughs> Cabot draws attention to the fact that Miriam was really hurt, and this fucking asshole has the audacity to say that a man knows what a woman wants just from their eyes. Mm. Uh, Exley introduces a new witness. Uh, Adchuk, the dude who helped Miriam with her application for American visa, says he told her to lie and say 12 men raped her instead of one. He says they practiced a lot. Cabot tries to make out like if Adchuk is a liar himself, but it doesn't quite work with the jury. Exley's closing argument is all about how Miriam is a liar and a gold digger. Cabot makes mention that not that Miriam is obviously not a perfect witness and to try and make it sound like she tries to make it sound like America should be about justice. Jury mm. can't decide on the rape. He gets not guilty on assault, but guilty on unlawful imprisonment. Cregan tells Olivia that Stabler is not coming back. Olivia loses it. Dick Wolf. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> Let me tell you some quick facts about the real story. Mm. Did you look into the real story at all? No, because um, this is something I'm looking forward to as part of this podcast is that every now and then I can pick the real story, but I don't know. Like, There's definitely episodes where I'm like, I don't know if this is actually based on something real, so I had no idea if this was based on something, so I'm, I'm interested to hear it. Yeah, so this one is pretty, pretty close to what they did. Like, They always say that, that you know... It's not based on anyone, but this one is pretty beat for beat. Like, they changed stupid stuff at the beginning, like, instead of his laptop, it's, it was actually his phone. Instead of Italian, he was actually French. So basically, it was the head of the International Monetary Fund. His name is... Dang, after all of that, I didn't write down his name. So his name is Dominique Strauss-Kahn. Mm-hmm. He was the French head of international monetary fund so he had a lot of power and he was actually being rumored to be the next french president at the beginning everything's pretty much the same they caught him on the plane before he took off uh he claimed uh immune like diplomatic immunity so everything matches in the story there was a dna match um so something definitely happened in the real case as well so they found that miriam had So her story changed from the very beginning. Like initially she said that she came out of the hotel room and told someone straight away. But then afterwards, because she got caught on camera, that she went to clean another room first Mm -hmm. and then she went back to clean that room and then she came out saying that he had attacked her. You know, you don't want to put words in, but almost like if it was an afterthought. There was also, they found a bunch of money transactions from different people, including drug dealers and felons, that were going to her account that totaled over $100,000 over the two last two years. So um, she, the, the victim in this real case, was paid various amounts by various felons? She was getting money from different okay. people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like in the episode, she brought up a gang rape and told the story in detailed word for word to prosecutors a couple of times, but later said she had lied but needed to continue the, scor- the story because it was what she had told in her asylum-seeking application. But when they looked mm. up her application, it didn't have anything about a rape on it at all. Okay. So, yeah, that was weird. Um, there was also a phone call recording of her telling her boyfriend that she knew what she was doing and and that they would be able to get a lot of money from 
from the guy. Mm. Um, she also filed a civil suit while the case was still going. They ended up settling out of court because the guy didn't want to make a big deal out of it. And she received just under a million dollars. So then the actual case went to, to trial, but then the charges were dropped because they couldn't find any concrete evidence that it was an attack and not a consensual act. Mm-hmm. And because she had lied so many times and the press had torn her to bits because of the lie, uh, they just didn't think that a jury would be able to return a verdict like beyond a reasonable mm-hmm. doubt. The, there was this uh, in France, not in France, yeah, in France, sorry, the real one. <laughs> in France, there was mm-hmm. a bunch of very strange things of like, So he had a wife and the wife stood by him just like in the episode. Mm -hmm. And, but also a bunch of lovers came forward and were like, Mm -hmm. he would never, violence is not part of his culture. A bunch of politicians came to his defense. There was one dude who I guess he thought that he was trying to defend him, but he actually dug his own grave because he publicly said, that it was in France, there's a phrase called uh, trousage de domestique, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically means the sex or rape of a domestic worker. And it's not seen as rape. Oof. It's like indentured servant stuff. His name is uh, Jean-Francois Kahn. And he said that, he, I think he thought he was defending Dominique, the guy. Mm-hmm. But everyone was just like, boo, get off the snake. Yeah, and rightfully so. Yeah, so he tanked his career basically by saying that. Like he he genuinely thought everyone was going to be like, "Yeah, you're a rapist." Position obviously said that he was a humiliation to France. And something interesting that I found is that a lot of the French people were really outraged that his photo. So they did actually take him on a perp walk. So when he went out of the station to go get booked, they showed him in front of the press. Apparently in France, it's illegal to show people to do perp walks. Like they can't show people unless they've been convicted. Mm -hmm. And so everyone in France was like, America is full of (laughs) savage people that don't know how to act. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's just politeness. It's dude, (laughs) there's nothing polite about any of this. Why would they Mm -hmm. give him the benefit? Anyway. Yeah. So that's all my notes about the real case. Mm-hmm. Well, it's. I think it's interesting because I have a few things, like a few thoughts uh, about the wife in, well, now both the real case and the the actual SVU case and like how that was treated because, okay, if we've got this context now of do we know if the real wife was aware of all the lovers that came out? To, um, I didn't find anything about her knowing, but mm-hmm. she might have if... She stood by him, even mm. when his lovers were going to the press and being like, he's my lover and I can vouch for him. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm. So well, I it's, she must have known. Yeah, because it, it does show things in a slightly different light of, because initially something that I was going to bring up was that, you know, through, in the beginning of the episode, we've got her, the wife, literally saying, yeah, essentially, you know, I know my husband is innocent yeah. and he is saying, you know, I've done nothing wrong and whatnot. But then when it, you know, after the DNA comes out, her having to sit there in the, I was about to say pews, what are they in the courtroom? In the um, court, just in the courtroom. Yeah. <laughs> her sitting in the courtroom, you know, listening to him talking about how, well, no, it's, you know, it wasn't rape because it was consensual and it was passionate. But if there is this, at least 
for them, that couple, if there is this context of, oh, no, you can take, you know, however many lovers you want, in, and this coming out now of that thing you said about that guy who thought he was defending him, like that, you know, the the rape of a maid servant. Yeah. It's not rape. Like, it's, I, I, I suppose it puts into context, like, a, you know, in case it's coming across me saying that any of this is right, it's absolutely fucking not. But no. it puts into context how this can happen, I suppose. Yeah, I, I mean, I was very surprised how much of it was true, just because SVU does tend to, you know, obviously not not only sensationalize stories, but they do tend to do like a first, second and third act where they grab different headlines and mash them together. So like mm. at the start of the episode, what that is, is probably not where you end up in the third act. Mm. They've like mashed it up so much. But this one was pretty pretty the same story the only thing is that in in the episode miriam is much more sympathetic in the episode you do believe that something happened to her and that she Mm -hmm. was just trying to find a place for her family to be safe this is what we were speaking about i think we we just managed to touch on it uh, like um about a week ago the whole thing of it was very interesting to see three white people not really understanding why someone would lie to get into a country, you know, Mm. as like, I like our family, our political refugees that came here on a political visa um, because our country was war torn as well. Like a little tiny Mm. fly speck of a country was war torn. And we know people that did actually say they were raped so that they could Mm. come to Australia. Some were, but some weren't, but people knew that if you said that, that your application would go up higher. So, mm. and that's desperate people doing desperate things to leave mm. somewhere that is just uninhabitable. But I thought it was very interesting to see it from the perspective of three white people just being like, <laughs> you know, like just not taking that into context. Like they, obviously they're just doing their jobs, especially like the, the ADA guy he's Mm. just like he he could see the writing on the wall that they were not going to completely win this case because Mm. uh, once the press gets a hold of any lie that you know the tabloids go fucking nuts so Mm. a few of the notes that i wrote down i think it was in this conversation between cabot and the ada whose name i don't remember but anyway that's not important um (laughs) Because he, he says something about, like, these cases are about perception, not reality. And, you know, there is a truth to that, however disgusting that is, is that, you know, like you said, once once one lie is brought out, however, you know, justified, it, the perception is that it tanks the rest of their, their credibility. But when, when you look at, at the absolute least, Miriam, the SVU character's lies, what she lied about was the number of men who raped her, not that she was raped, but the number of men. And she lied about a prostitution charge, which when we look at it from a point of view of, okay, she was given that by an incredibly misogynistic system that, you know, due to her being raped. Like those are lies that are only lies in the most technical of terms to me. Yeah. I would absolutely, you know, if somebody put – (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things that gets me so riled up because the idea that somebody would go, oh, but she lied about that in 
you know, on her application to, you know, like no US or the government. whatsoever. Yeah. Like black yeah, and white. Like oh, well, black they lied. White. Yeah. They lied and then you don't stop to think of like, yeah, but they had to yeah. to protect their family. Well, um, they to. <clears throat> yeah, well, because um, Cabot makes, uh, says something later, later on in that episode, I think. She says, every rape victim lies about something. And that... Just that line taken out of context sounds like, what, excuse you? But what she goes on to say is how drunk she was, you know, what she was wearing, those things that every female presenting person, you know, let alone others, have probably heard at some point in time of we don't want to be perceived as having asked for it. Yeah, Yeah, because we live in a flawed system, exactly that. Mm. Like, because there are so many reasons why people try to poke holes through women's stories about rape that you mm. would feel the need to protect yourself from the very beginning, even if that would require you lying about stuff. Yeah, and you, you end up in this sort of vicious cycle, vicious circle, whatever that phrase is, of you know, <laughs> having to lie to protect, protect the perception of yourself and then potentially being caught in that lie, even though you didn't need, you know, you shouldn't have needed to lie, but that's the system that we're in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I think they represented that pretty well in the episode because, obviously, the the real story is much more murky. She got called out in a few pretty big lies, like actual non-nuanced black and white mm. lies. So, yeah, so that was – it was interesting as well because SVU gen, like, generally doesn't have that much tact. <laughs> it would have been very easy for them to get this – this victim and make them out to be horrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the real victim was horrible, but like, there's just a lot there. There's a yeah. lot of stuff that happened that, that yeah, like there, there's no jury that would have been able to be like, yep, something definitely like attacky happened, which yeah, it sucks because I think something that Cutter says and that Cabot kind of hits back with, where he's, you know, it, both, I can't remember who says what, but it's basically both sides of the coin of, like, people won't want to report because this victim is being torn apart by the press, but it's also, like, but people want to know that justice has been served if something... Mm. So, yeah, I just think it's a really interesting <laughs> a really interesting first episode right out of the bat, like, because it's not a, a usual SVU episode. The whole episode is just one story, it's very the the actual real life story, and mm. um, and so getting used to a new member, which is Rollins. And I would say that you know, at least from you know a relative outsider's point of view, yeah, I love uh, what's his name Stabler, but I didn't feel his I didn't feel the lack of his presence in this episode. It all felt like it all meshed together pretty well. I think um I think something that I said to you when I was trying to like entice you to, to do this podcast <laughs> with me, when I was like hypothetically winking at you to be like, eh, eh <laughs> is the fact that from this season onwards you get more background about the characters. And mm-hmm. I think before it was very much the Elliot show. Like you wouldn't he he was the one with the family, so you had like storylines with all his kids and his wife mm. and and then his relationship, his his codependency with, with Olivia. But all the other characters, you barely got any glimpse of their lives. But I think from 13 onwards, 
they do show a lot about the the people's lives and it's funny because i think that's why a lot of people hate it as well they just want to show they just want to watch a show about true crime you know Mm. um but i think the added element of their backstories i don't know i I like it it becomes more about entertainment for entertainment value and not entertainment based on true crime i guess Mm, mm. Mm. but anyway yes so uh do you have anything else on your notes one thing that i do want to say is that so this episode and the next episode and i'm sure plenty of other episodes that we're going to be talking about deal a lot with the dubiousness of whether or not a victim is believed and I think that's something that is, like, very near and dear to my heart and, like, I, I find very interesting to talk about. In this episode, we're talking about, you know, the one lie making, you know, her uh, accusations for nothing and just the notion that there's any point in time where a rape can be earned, I suppose, is where I'm getting at. Like, you know, that a rape, a rape victim, I should say, can be earned doesn't deserve the what's the word i'm definitely rambling and i hope you'll be able to cut this out (laughs) make it sound a little more intelligent but you know because we're talking about this victim in this episode and the real life counterpart and obviously we can go okay one of you sounds a lot more believable one of you has some dubious bank transfers and oh that makes you look a little less good yeah Uh, it's it's applying merit Mm. if if victims have a finite amount of merit that we get to take away based on different Mm. different things in their past and in their lives and i think that's a a really it is something that is that happens a lot in this series of the not non-perfect mm. victim of like well why is this person less deserving of your sympathy and for justice than this other person mm. why mm. is why the sex worker less deserving of being a victim than a 16 year old virgin or something you know like yeah it's it does they do talk about a lot I, to be honest with you though sometimes they do kind of skim it <laughs> it's like mm. it's very um they say really interesting things but then they just don't actually discuss it because at the end of the day it's still a prime time you know 45 minute show yeah that they have to like cram it and like i said like they have to cram in like three full two red herrings and one full story in 45 minutes Mm. plus plus whoever character arc is going on that week yeah 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 Yeah, Hey, if you if you want to cut out everything I said and just put in how you succinctly said that, because well, well done for that. <laughs> no, no, because you get it was a conversation. It was a jumping off point. Because <laughs> otherwise, it'll just sound like I'm a smug asshole at the end. There. Uh, no, no, I'll I'll edit it. It's fine. <laughs> I'll edit it so that it's a cohesive a cohesive conversation and without mm. all of our like ums and. Yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough. So in because I used to edit our old podcasts as well. You say um, the little the little wavelength looks like a penis. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and depending on how long the um is, sometimes it's like a big long chunker, and sometimes it's a little chunk, and it's pretty funny. And that's how I that's how I find them in the wavelength. I can usually find them, and then I can like delete them, and I find them straight away because it's these little peens in the wavelength. Oh, just a little, a little. Uh... 
of the time in every editor's uh, every editor's J job where they're like, "All right, it's time to find the penises." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> first part of a <laughs> first lesson in editing is find the peen. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. No, that that about sums up my notes. I'm sure as we go on that I will take increasingly more notes, better notes. Hopefully. No, no. I would. No, we did well. We did well. So, yeah. We'll. You want to do a little sign off? Yeah, I was going to ask you. Um, I mean, eventually, I guess we'll we'll have like. I mean, I don't want to have a catchphrase, but it's also something. <laughs> I mean, I guess as we go on, we might find something that we find funny. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely happy to to you know to follow your. I'll follow your lead. You know, I'm happy with buy you assholes for the moment. Like, <laughs> buy you assholes. When we come up with something, buy, better, we can buy you haters, fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to have a sign off just yet. I'm sure it'll come. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's best mm-hmm. not to force it. But like mm-hmm. that would be pretty funny if we do it. <laughs> buy you haters, fuckers. See you next week. <laughs> So aggressive. Oh, um, heinously yours. <laughs> heinously yours. <laughs> yeah, let's do that one then. <laughs> For now, <laughs> we don't have a catchphrase to sign off with, but we're going to leave you with... Heinously yours. Heinously yours.